1: Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to Locked on Packers on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You'll find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin. And the show, for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. And remember, you can get this show every day when you subscribe to Locked on Packers on the all-new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked On Packers. We're going to talk a little bit today about the prospect of a Duke Johnson trade. He did not arrive for camp for opening day activities for the Browns and has made his request known that he would like to be traded. We're also, in the second half of the show, going to talk about the new rule changes and Get into that a little bit. I don't want to dedicate too much time to that just because I think everyone more or less agrees, at least the fans agree, that this is problematic and the coaches and the teams seem to think this is really important. So I'm going to try and reconcile those as we look at the, uh, the pass interference review process in particular, but I want to start with the Duke Johnson stuff because Duke Johnson has been a name that's been out there and, and connected in some way to the Packers specifically because he was seemingly out of the loop in Cleveland. You have Nick Chubb, and he seems to be a quality player. They signed Kareem Hunt, and we're not going to get into the ethics of that. Uh, and so what, where is Duke Johnson's role on this team as as someone who has had a role and has been a productive player on this team in the past? And that's part of this that, that I really don't understand if you're the Browns, why you would move on from him, why you have decided you can't find a role for him because he has been good. He has been effective in the past. In fact, Warren Sharp tweeted this out, and, and his, his advanced stats are some of the best, really, anywhere. And of the 62 running backs with at least 250 early down rushes and targets over the last three years, so that's first and second down, Duke Johnson is second in yards per play third in explosiveness, and seventh in success rate at 52%. Only two running backs rank in the top 10 in all three of those metrics, Duke Johnson and Alvin Kamara. So it is very strange that Cleveland would say, yeah, we can't use this player. We don't think he's particularly valuable. He's the kind of guy who you can split out wide and he can run routes. He can be in the backfield and, and run the ball. He, he doesn't make you predictable. If he's in the game, it's not, oh, the Packers are going to pass or, oh, the Packers are going to run. This was the criticism of Jordan Howard. When he was in the game, everyone knew they were running because 75% of the time they ran the ball. Now, I don't think that's, that is a, a player problem. I think that's a coaching problem. Don't be predictable by formation, and things get a lot easier for you. But that is also made easier on the coaches when you have players that can do a lot of different kinds of things, and Duke Johnson can do that. They don't have a player like Duke Johnson on this roster. And I have made this comparison a lot of times. Last year before the Super Bowl, I looked at that stable of running backs for each team. And I said, okay, each one of these teams has a guy they really think is a good runner. They, they have a guy that they view as sort of their, their hammer back. And they have a guy they view as their pass catching back. And I looked at the Packers roster and I saw, okay, Aaron Jones, the best pure runner on the team, one of the best pure runners in the NFL. You have Jamal Williams, who is a capable, reliable, power running back, one cut runner who can help you in pass protection. And you have Ty Montgomery, a converted receiver who should be able to help you in the passing game. And yet Green Bay was never able to maximize those advantages because they simply didn't run an offense that catered to those traits. They ran their offense and they threw those players on the field and just called plays. That was how it felt at times, that this team just didn't really care about who was on the field. They just ran their offense. And I looked at the Eagles and I went, Corey Clement has a specific job. Jay Ajayi has a specific job. That's now Jordan Howard's job. And Wendell Smallwood has a specific job. It was the same with the Patriots. Deion Lewis had a job. Rex Burkhead had a job. James White has a job. Same, same thing last year. Sony Michelle, when Sony Michelle was on the field, they only ran the ball. And yet, they were able to do it successfully because. They used a lot of different kinds of formations. They used a lot of different kinds of backs. So, yeah, if he's in the game, there's a good chance it's going to be a run. But if he's he's 70% run and he's only playing 35% of snaps, now you're a lot less keyed in to that guy. If you're Jordan Howard and you're the starting running back and 75% of the plays you're in on are runs, it becomes a lot easier to key in on what you're doing. So let's say you're Duke Johnson and you're RB3. Well, in this offense, you might play 40% of snaps, 50% of snaps. And even if 70% of them, let's say, are passes, which is more likely going to be the, the way that that breaks down, even if that's the case, because he's playing less often, it becomes a little bit less predictable. If, if Duke Johnson's on the field on third and eight, well, we know what's happening. Now, if Duke Johnson's in the game on first and ten, now that becomes interesting, and you can give him the ball in the run game. It's not as if you hand him the ball and he can't do anything with it. He's not the kind of back you want to give 20 carries to, but that's okay. That's not what he's here for if he, if he does, in fact, get to Green Bay. So the question is compensation and cost. Post-trade, he would cost the Packers $1.8 million next year. That's not very much. In the grand scheme of things, a draft pick is going to cost you a couple hundred thousand, so you're looking at the difference of just over a, a million dollars in difference. That's not very much. You can find a million dollars in the sofa cushions of the salary cap if you really need to. Convert some of Rodgers' base salary into bonus, you can spread it out. The, the A number of teams did that this offseason. The Bears did it with Khalil Mack. Uh, the Buccaneers did it with Mike Evans. You can do it to create some space because you can spread out signing bonus. You have to pay it. You have to pay it right now, but it can be spread out on the salary cap, and you can create space quickly that way. Okay, so he's under $2 million in cost. So what is it going to cost in trade? Jordan Howard just got a six. Now, I think you can make the case when we're talking about limited running backs Duke Johnson's skill set, albeit limited if we're going to look at it that way, if he can only do, you know, on on a pie chart three-quarters of the things you want a running back to do and Jordan Howard can only do three-quarters of the thing on a pie chart you want a running back to do, Duke Johnson can do the right three-quarters. He can do the stuff you need running backs to do in the NFL right now because he can help you in the passing game. He can be explosive down the field. He can help you down the field in the passing game, in an offense that, thank the Lord, is actually going to use the running backs that way, has in the past. And so what is his value relative to, say, Jordan Howard, who is a multiple thousand yard rusher, who as a rookie was incredibly productive in a bad offense on a bad team, who rushed for over 1,300 yards on over five yards of carry for a... Dowell Loggins BS offense and everyone knew was the playmaker of that team and they couldn't stop him Duke Johnson is not going to cost more than a fifth round pick and I said on Twitter I think a fifth round pick is worth giving up because yeah it might only take a sixth a sixth if it's the right sixth and Green Bay has two they have one from the Brett Hunley deal. If you can turn Brett Hundley into Duke Johnson, man, that's an easy, 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 easy win. Because then you basically, you traded Demarius Randall and Brett Hundley for Deshaun Kaiser and Duke Johnson. And that trade looks a little bit better now. Uh, But I said, okay, the Packers have two fourths. So you're insulating yourself against missing out on that fifth. And you have two sixths, which if you wanted a package to move up into the fifth, you could probably do. If it really mattered to you, but that late, once you get into the fifth round, it's a crapshoot. Everything after about 120 is just an absolute. It's it's something beyond a lottery ticket. It's it's basically you know making making a wish in a wishing well with a penny. I mean, if it if it hits, it, it may have nothing to do with the fact that you wished it. Uh, it's just one of those things. It's not too much. That's not too much, even with the cost. And even with the fact that he'd probably only be you know, RB3, Jamal Williams is going to get carries in this offense. Aaron Jones is going to get carries in this offense. We have to look at that running back share as bigger than just what's happening with the running of the running backs. Because the passing game is going to be important. It was important for Kyle Shanahan. It's important for Sean McVay. It's going to be important for Matt LaFleur. If he had more guys... He had Deion Lewis, and he did get him involved in the passing game. Derrick Henry wasn't that guy, couldn't use him the same way, and Lafleur was able to adapt. Once it became clear that his offense couldn't be run the way that he wanted it to be run, he adapted the system they were running, not his system, but the system that they were running to the traits of the players. And that's what you want. Now, if you're the Packers, could you go into this draft and say, in the fourth round, use one of those fourth round picks on a running back? Sure you could sure you could but how do you feel about that running back in year 1 and year 2 are they ready to help you now aaron jones was jamal williams they they were but that is rare now i am of the i am of the opinion that running backs grow on trees in the nfl i'm not into paying running backs if aaron jones stays healthy the next 2 years and needs a new contract i'm going to i'm going to struggle with that I I just I struggle to pay running backs because you can find running backs. But I also think you need to be looking for players who are undervalued and underutilized. You can't assume that any given team, even a team you think is smart and well-run, is using all of their players to their fullest potential. And I think pretty clearly Duke Johnson believes he's not being used to his fullest potential. That's why he wants out. On a team like Green Bay that's going to play two running backs. I mean you saw that Kyle Shanahan offense in 2016. With a legit running back share. There was a little bit of a criticism in Tennessee. Early in in Matt LaFleur's offensive coordinator tenure last year. That he was using Deion Lewis too much. That Derrick Henry wasn't getting enough snaps. So he's going to use two backs. And if he has three he's going to use three. And he's going to put two on the field regularly, and he's going to split them out, and he's going to use them in the passing game and in all the different kinds of ways that they can be used. So his value relative to, say, a Jordan Howard is different because he can, he can do things that affect the game in ways that Jordan Howard can't. If Jordan Howard gets you five yards a rush, even on the high end, that's fine. But if you're someone like Duke Johnson... And you can get six, seven, eight yards a touch because you can be such a factor in the passing game as well. And you can create big plays. You can create game-changing plays. Explosive plays are at a premium in the NFL. If you can create them, you have tremendous value. Duke Johnson can create them. And so it is worth it to throw a day three pick. Even if you wanted to get crazy. I don't think a fourth rounder is necessary. I really don't. I just don't think it's going to take that. But if you the Packers have two, let's get crazy. Maybe they don't think Jamal Williams is ideally suited for Matt Lafleur. I, I think that's not true. I think Jamal Williams is ideally, ideally, ideally suited. Uh, in fact, I remember reading during the draft uh, that the year that he was drafted, before he even played a snap in the NFL, before we even got to see him be good, I came back to this piece the other day. I was reading about it and and it was a piece on zone blocking. And in this piece, the author talked about the ideal zone running back and Jamal Williams at BYU was the example. So, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case. But Duke Johnson is also an ideal fit for what Matt LaFleur wants to do with his running backs, that Tevin Coleman type. And if Freddie Kitchens is not going to use him, Listen, John Dorsey has a long-standing relationship with Brian Gutekunst. We know the connections in this front office. It makes sense that especially if they think well of him as a guy, if they think he's a good dude and they just don't see, view him as in their plans, send him to Green Bay. Send him to Green Bay and Green Bay should absolutely be interested in trying to get him. All right, I do want to talk a little bit about these rule changes because the NFL, I think, went a little too far with this, and it seems like a lot of other people in the media feel that way. A lot of fans feel that way. Obviously, the reaction is to what happened in the in the uh, Saints Rams game with the non-call, but I'll point to a a comment that Matt Lafleur made in in the the during the owners' meetings, and that was, you know, you want to get the calls right, but you don't want to put flags on the field that weren't there, basically. And so what this new rule does is it allows teams with pass interference to say, we think there wasn't, you didn't call anything, and so we'd like you to. And the problem with this is the same problem that every replay has and every problem that I have with replay, and that is, When you slow things down to inches and and millimeters and super slow-mo, it may be the case that a call was technically wrong, but I don't think the point of officiating is to get everything right. The point of officiating is to try and get most things right, but human error is part of the game. And the way a game is being officiated is part of the fun. This is this is an old baseball idea. That it doesn't matter if every called strike is actually a strike and every called ball is actually a ball. What matters is that the zone is consistent. So if you're going to let defensive backs maul receivers, let them maul receivers all game and let both teams do it. This happens in basketball too. If you're going to let them play let them play. And if you're going to call it tight, call it tight both ways. And, and this can be an important part of how football is played. Because there may be times in a game where you have to call it a little bit tighter because attitudes are a little bit higher. You look at a Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game where at any moment there could be a fist fight. You might call that game differently. And replay could upset the balance of those kinds of ebbs and flows that are really necessary in our game. And so my concern with this is, yeah, it it could have helped the Saints in that situation rectify a clearly incorrect call. And I think this is the spirit of what replay is. So in that way, I get it. And I get why teams are saying, look, we need to fix, we need to have the opportunity to fix Clearly incorrect calls and non-calls, egregious calls and non-calls. The problem is replay has been parsed so far that that is no longer how it's used. We're looking at you know blades of grass, the difference, and and I I have always believed that you need to put a shot clock on these things. If you can't tell that the call in the field was wrong in the first thirty seconds maybe a minute just to give everyone time to see multiple angles i don't want super slow mo i don't want nbc it just just run it just just show the play and i'm sorry if that makes me sound like an old man i want the, i want the officiating to be right i want the calls to be right i don't want anybody getting robbed because of bad officiating but i think we've we've come into this world now where we look at these calls and if replay says it's close and a call stands or it is overturned now we have to be outraged about it we have to be so mad that team a got robbed over a call that was fractional that was marginal that was that was you know a razor's edge from going the other direction and we have to act like this is the biggest injustice that has ever been seen in sports or in life. And it seems like the NFL relishes that. That they want that. That they welcome that. Because that discussion means their league is being talked about. Even if it's being talked about in this potentially negative way. I, I, I understand the impulse to say we want to get obviously incorrect calls wrong. That is the impetus for a replay that's why it exists Jerry Rice clearly fumbled and the Packers couldn't say he fumbled and so the 49ers won a football game they had no business winning in the playoffs because Green Bay couldn't challenge an obviously wrong call that is the situation we should be looking at when we're looking at replay and so that Saints-Rams play is obviously a wrong call. You'd like to be able to reverse that. I understand that impulse. I agree with it. And, and I would have liked to say, okay, maybe in the last two minutes, those kinds of things can be adjudicated that way. Or maybe you have an official in the booth. You know, the AAF has a, the replay official miked up and on video and so you actually get to hear the replay official go through the process of determining whether or not it was a catch, whether or not their feet were in bounds, whether or not the ball was fumbled. There's full transparency. So if we're going to do this, the NFL would never, by the way, never, would never. But if we're going to do it, let's do it. If, if we're going to replay every call, then I want to know and I want to see the transparency. Show your damn work. Let me see it. Because otherwise we're we're just adding variables that officials are already proven they're bad at balancing. They they can't do it in real time. They struggle to do it even on replay. And so why are we giving them more things to try and, and call? I want the calls not I want teams not to be screwed over by bad calls too. I do. I mean, I I remember how I felt after the fail Mary. I remember how the Packers felt. By the way, T.J. Lang was was very unhappy. I remember very specifically. Aaron Rodgers was very unhappy and and publicly so about that. And that was the that was the replacement officials. I remember how I felt after the Jerry Rice play. But we're opening the door here to all kinds of possibilities that the rule was never really designed to deal with and that's the concern that i have putting flags on the field in non obvious situations oh he got a little bit more i mean one of the one of the calls that that the nfl mentioned was a non called defensive pass interference against brandon cooks in the super bowl and i remember watching the play and i remember watching and seeing that the defensive back did hook Brandon Cooks. But it's the kind of hook that takes place on every snap, every game. If those kinds of things are going to get called, if they weren't called live, I have a serious problem with this rule. Because those are things, that's not an egregious miscall. And so by opening the door here and not just saying, okay, we're going to do it in the last two minutes, Or we're going to do it in preseason and see how it works or something like that by just rolling it out. Now it's going to be exceedingly difficult to put the genie back in the bottle. And it's only going to make things more convoluted for a league and for fans where no one knows what a catch is. We're now going to be trusting the officials to put flags on the field where they weren't called originally I mean, how does that make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. But this is the NFL, and at a certain point, we have to stop expecting it to make sense. This episode is brought to you by Shell.
2: that comes in multiple colors to match you one. The one with a subscription that delivers new brush heads for just $5. Your teeth deserve this one. Philips One by Sonicare. One up your brushing. Learn more at philips.com one. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-S dot com slash O-N-E.
1: All right, we're going to be back tomorrow. And we're uh, we're in April now. I mentioned yesterday, no April fools. The NFL draft is just three weeks away, so we're going to keep the NFL draft content coming. If you if you missed the article that I wrote for Acme Packing Company about a under-the-radar draft scenarios, go check that out. And, and obviously, we're going to be doing a lot more draft content at Acme Packing Company. So always keep an eye on what's going on over there because there's a lot of talented people that, that aren't me. Uh, so th- they're worth reading. Jason Hershorn, Tex Western, Paul Noonan, uh, Chris Burke, all of the, all the people that contribute to the website. I, I, I already regret naming names because uh, so many of the people over there are really good, and uh, I want to I wanna get all of them the recognition they deserve. Uh, so if I didn't mention your name, um, I still love you, I promise. Remember, if you haven't already given us a rating or a review, please, I, I, I would ask you to do that. Uh, if you miss Make a Friend Monday, tell a friend Tuesday. Uh, it, it does help. We, we had our best month ever. March was our best month. February was our best month. January was our best month before that. So the growth in the off season continues. Thank you so much for being a part of it. And and keep keep telling your friends, let's keep it up. Uh, let's keep rising up the iTunes charts until we fully take over. And one way you can do that is uh, downloading the Himalaya app. They want to make podcasting easier, but you can also find us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts, you'll find Locked on Packers. Get us in your car. Tell your smart device to play Locked on Packers. You can follow me on Twitter, all the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. I guess I should tell you my screen name if you don't already know it. Screen name. Oh, my God. Showing my age. ASL. Anyone out there? Uh, my screen name? No, my Twitter handle is at Peter underscore Bukowski. And uh, if you want to send me questions on Twitter, please do that. Uh, You can also hit me up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline 920-341-3775 to always stay locked on Packers.